you might think it's like quaint and cute how they have it set up, but it is like all strategically designed. The other thing, he wasn't just obsessed with David Ogilvy, he was actually obsessed with cults. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right. Today on the podcast, we're doing something different. We want to go deep on a business, a business that we think is in a super crowded space, but has emerged as just a rock star company because they do something very different. Um, and that company is is Trader Joe's, which Jonathan, do you go to Trader Joe's? Absolutely. Yeah. Trader Joe's was actually my favorite when I was, especially in Seattle, was my favorite go-to. It was also my neighborhood. And I remember picking my, the apartment I was going to, you know, stay in specifically because it was on the same street as the Trader Joe's. So yeah, I'm glad to talk about them. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the five seed almond bars and the peanut filled pretzels. I, I thought I was special for getting those. Turns out those are like two of their most popular items. So I'm not that special. I'm just like every other dude. But uh, so why are we talking about a grocery store? Basically, what Jonathan and I want to do is we have a growth agency, Growth Hit, and it is exhausting to grow a business that doesn't have something special. So much so that like we've started working with clients who are before we will even work with you. It's like, what's your true point of differentiation? Do you have an irresistible offer that's unique and different? Because if not, like we don't even want to work together. But if we find a client that does, they have a, a great offer, a great product, they're owning a niche, we're like, game on, let's go. And so we thought it'd be fun to break down some of these companies and and why they're special and they're just a breakout kind of different success. But anything you want to add to that, Jonathan? Yeah, you're totally right. The worst thing in the world is to work on a business that is not differentiated. It's just a V2 business. And uh, it's, it's really like pushing a boulder up a mountain. It's it's just not worth the effort. Trainer Joe's, is, it's, it's, it's built a way to get their fans, not customers, that's intentional, hugged. They've created evangelists in a space where you wouldn't expect something like this to exist. It's like people are talking about, you know, how tech companies nowadays have engineered like slot-like experiences on your phone to get people hooked. And these people have done it in the real world in the least tech savvy or tech, you know, influenced way. So it's a fascinating company. And I think there's a lot to learn for everyone. Yeah, I'm reading the book about the Patagonia CEO, Let My People Go Surfing, or I think that's the title. And he talked yeah. about his hell would be the CMO of a cola company and having to compete in the cola wars where there's no product differentiation. And it's all about like distribution, ad buys and things like that, which was kind of funny. All right, so let's let's get into Trader Joe's. First, what is it? It is a grocery store, a boring industry. I try to figure out stats. I use good old chat GPT and I don't know if it's true, but we'll go with it. It said in 2020, they did 13.3 billion. And what's interesting is out of every grocery store chain, they by far have the most sales per square foot and like 4x the industry average. And what's interesting is they do this where most grocery stores have like 35,000 SKUs, they have 3,000 SKUs. And we'll, we'll get into that because that gets into the point of differentiation. 
we get into the history. Did you see anything else with like numbers or stats? I couldn't get too much because it's privately held, obviously. Yeah, I think what was fascinating to me is that they were acquired by the German family or that, you know, a very wealthy family that also owns algae very early on. I thought it was actually acquired later on after they'd achieved great success. But it's, yeah, it was fascinating that it was an early acquisition, something they've grown in quiet without you know, any data really slipping out into the public with the exception of, you know, total revenue and store count. And that they've grown, like they acquired and kept the integrity of it and it really took off. Yeah. So we'll, we'll give a little history of it. So founded by Joe Colomb in 1950 in Pasadena, California, he was a Stanford graduate. He went to Stanford Business School. And here's what's interesting that I really want to call out because we want to look at these founders that come up with innovative ideas and I want to call out that his first idea was not Trader Joe's and he just copied something else, which by the way, I think copying is great. He basically saw that 7-Eleven in Texas had the most sales per square foot. He's like, oh, there's no 7-Eleven in California. And he essentially made a clone. And then he had 16 of these stores and basically his like big supplier, the milk supplier, his big investor guy was all pulling out and he was about to just get his lunch handed to him. And so he had to do something different. And he launched Trader Joe's on the back of two key insights, which was so fascinating. One is the 7-Eleven stat as far as sales per square foot. You don't have to have a huge grocery store with lots of SKUs, but less SKUs. But then the other thing, and this is something that you and I talked about. If you want to be different, find a wave to ride early. And it was a stat that it was like the rise of the educated. He was seeing how many more people were going to college. And he's like, wait a minute, there's going to be a rise, but they don't want the same thing that everyone gets at Albertsons. They've traveled the world. They want things that are healthy. They, they want things that are a, a little bit fancier. And so he went after that segment, which he called the overeducated and underpaid. And as you look at the footprint of their locations, that's one of their business signals that we'll get into. But that, that's kind of like the, and like you said, he sold to the German company. I think like 88 in the late 80s. Well, it's in the late 70s, actually. I think it was like 79 70. or something like Oh, and I have one other insight on him. This one is hilarious. He was left-handed and he had a bias to left-handed people because if you're left-handed, you're used to seeing the world differently and having to work creative because everything is set up for you. You drive on the right side of the road, desk are set up for right-handed people. Your knife and fork as for right-handed people. And so in interviews, he would make people write things so he could see if they're left-handed or right-handed. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I think one thing that's also quite interesting about them is even though they've grown a lot, obviously since the 1979, I think over 505 locations, Bond doing some research for them, they still retain that local feel. Um, I thought it was quite interesting that they hire artists to come in and like, sketch out the, the name of the products and the uh, price. All stores are also furnished, obviously, within a certain brand guideline, but they custom to that place, the location. And it feels like your corner store, even though it's part of a mega franchise of 505 stores and, you know, tens of billions of revenue. So it's a very unique balance that they've managed to strike there. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent? but you have issues finding good people. Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. 
Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A-plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose. So, so the whole point is, okay, What's our unique take on why Trader Joe's is special? What can people learn from it to apply it to their own business? So we'll break it down from like product distribution, their people, prices. Maybe it's worth starting with how they compare to the traditional grocery store, right? The traditional grocery store, 35,000 products. They have 3,000 products. The traditional grocery store is like 40,000 square feet. They're 10,000 square feet. And there was this study, they called it the jam test. Someone, I think at Cal Berkeley, did this study on choice. And they saw that at grocery stores, people would leave out 24. They did this test where there's a lot of options for products for people to come and check it out. But the people that actually bought was super low because they're paralyzed by it. So she did this study where at a grocery store, she had 24 jams and then she had six jams. And what she saw was the conversion rate for the samples with six was like 4x better than that with 24 because people were overwhelmed. So actually having less choice is better. And that's something that kind of like embodies Trader Joe's because they're not going to have, I don't know, the 20 different types of smoothies or protein shakes or whatever. It's like there's the one, two or three options, right? And it's like, oh, we don't have that fancy like peach spicy salsa this week, we have the watermelon salsa. And that's what you get. And I think that is like a bold move to have your whole business model around that idea of less choice rather than more because every grocery store wants to just have everything you need. So you're a one-stop shop. So like as far as their setup, I thought that was like one big point of differentiation that's worth calling out. Yeah, I think another huge one, of course, is that they have their own product lines. And a funny story, actually, I heard about this on a radio program, like it has to be a decade ago or something. There was this guy who used to come past the border, the U.S.-Canada border into Washington state, buy a ton of Trader Joe's inventory from multiple stores so he doesn't get caught, smuggling back into the Canadian border. It had his own mini Trader Joe's outpost that was not Trader Joe's owned. And he was selling Trader Joe's product to the Canadians at, at a markup. So there are product lines, there are products that are unique. Trader Joe's branded products are unique. What broke my heart when I was doing the research is most of it isn't actually Trader Joe's branded. It's like, for example, Annie's Mac and Cheese. Trader Joe's goes to Annie's and they like the Annie's Mac and Cheese. So they rebranded, they put it in a different Trader Joe's packaging, but most people fall for it. And that's a significant portion of the product skew is like that. So uh, it's definitely, it's huge. And even the packaging, you can take a DiGiorno's pizza that everyone might not like and might find to be unhealthy. But when it's packaged in 
in, you know, it's organic, you know, health conscious Trader Joe's packaging, it looks like something healthier. So they've managed to repackage the same products in a way that looks healthier and even obviously cheaper, less expensive for people. So fascinating insights on that one. What was that person? I, I listened. I think it was all like Freakonomics or NPR. That wasn't the guy called like Pirate Joe or something who was like. I think that's it. Yeah, that, that sounds right. That, that actually sounds really right. Yeah, I don't remember the exact name, but they wouldn't surprise me. That's it. Yeah, I, I saw that same thing on that they white label everything because they're pita chips that I'm a big fan of are actually just the Stacey's pita chips or whatever. But here's what's interesting. So Bed Bath & Beyond, which just filed for bankruptcy, they had a Target exec that came in and they started to make their own products and white label others, but it didn't work for them. I don't know if because electronics, it doesn't work as well. But one big call out is because I don't think they understood people positioning, branding, copywriting. Because when I was looking at this book around that Trader Joe's founder, he was a huge fan of Ogilvy. And he was like always quoting Ogilvy, David Ogilvy, who's obviously like the iconic advertiser. And one thing that he read was, the more you tell, the more you sell. And so they have this thing, the fearless flyer that we can talk about where they don't do any ads. All they do is do this flyer that just really editorializes their products. And the other interesting thing is they don't have a traditional CMO. Their role for director of marketing is director of words, phrases, and pauses. So if you ever look at their packaging, they like over-index for amazing copywriting. Because if it's going to be these like, white labeled products and it's an educated audience, they know to speak to them, you need to speak that language. So it's something that like, as I'm reading the packages, I'm totally following for it. But I'm like, these are, yes, these are basically Cheeto balls, but like these like artisanal, whatever cheese puffs are, you know, Cheetos, but that's fine. Yeah, it's, it's very obvious that they're they're led by marketers. I mean, it's like they, I believe, if I'm can have a podcast, and that's probably the only grocery chain in the world that has podcasts. And they Is understand really? the value of con- Yeah, it does. It's the only, and they understand the value of continuing to talk with, with their customers. So it's fascinating. I remember receiving the, um, the, the newsletter, and it was the only thing that I wouldn't throw out that I'd actually give an additional media to quickly, you know, read and glance at. So... Everything from, you know, the packaging, the copywriting on it was always fascinating. And actually, to continue on this, they've really thought through the entire experience with ex- extreme thoughtfulness. Like everything from the moment you drive into that crowded, small parking lot, all the way to the moment you interact with the first clerk, or actually in their case, they call them members. So instead of, you know, employees in their Hawaiian shirts, to the moment you, you know, read those fascinating product names that have been really well thought out, and then the artists sketched names and, and prices. And the moment you go to the aisles where there are, you know, bells ringing and you have to interact with a person, and even the way they hire their people and they pay them above market rates is they're looking for gregarious people who are, you know, very sociable, who will engage with people, talk through their own experiences consuming the products to get people to engage with them. And as a, as a consumer, you can also sample anything in the store. So it's not like one of those stores where you like sneak in a few grapes and eat it as you're buying it. And this one, you're actually allowed to ask for anything and, and eat it on the spot, the sample it at least. And they just thought through that entire experience. And it kind of reminds me of how Apple has done the same thing with like engineering the way that 
they want you to like the the box opening experience make it feel premium with the right amount of friction on the box they're very much like that and they they started doing this a long time ago so everything from parking lot to the moment the person rings the bell and you have to interact with their cashier that's all been very methodically thought out and i think that's what their key secret sauce is it's not even the product because as we just discussed it's actually annie's macaroni and cheese in a different box so fascinating company so that is the hack Jonathan and I get for you. They actually are told that if someone asks if they can try something, the co the worker there is allowed to stop what they're doing and open up the bag of whatever and get you a free snack. So basically lunchtime, you can get free lunch. Trader Joe's. And then it's like I go there with my kids and like they have like surprises like, oh, see where you can find our hidden dog today. They're like handing you out stickers. And like your point. It's super interesting. Most grocery stores stock at night. They stock during the day to create conversation with you and the employees, even though their aisles are more narrow than others. And so you might think it's like quaint and cute how they have it set up, but it is like all strategically designed and in, in how they have that set up. And one thing in that book about the founder, the other thing, he wasn't just obsessed with David Ogilvy. He was actually obsessed with Colts because he wanted it to have those trades. And you would make funny jokes around like, trade a Colt, but make sure you never cross their principles or they will cross you back. And so like how some things are, are very sacred um, for them. So I thought that one was super interesting. The other thing, it's so easy for us to like look back and praise how genius they are, but there's like a couple things that happened in the early days that led to this path. One was when your smaller grocery store, their egg guy came to them as like, hey, none of the big stores are going to buy our, our jumbo extra large eggs because they just can't support it with how they stock things. It's not scalable. We'll give you these same eggs, but at the, or these bigger eggs, but at the same price. And Trader Joe's is like, oh, perfect. Because we only have one thing for eggs. It doesn't matter which ones they are. And so they use that to their advantage where they would get these like, products are kind of outliers, but they would editorialize them like normal eggs, but 12% bigger, the same, but for the same price, where they're then beating the big stores that turn these eggs down because they were kind of like weird. And now you see that as like a, a major thing, but that's all because of them. And then there was the other one with, they really started to own the high quality, low price wine market because the overeducated, underpaid person wanted good wine and then being in california i don't know if you remember like two buck chuck it's the two dollar wine yeah that had, yeah uh, that really kind of put them on the on the map and so it's you know knowing the best value deals you can get they editorialize it but they also have the lowest prices which you don't see that too often because not saying that trader joe's is premium or luxury but it doesn't feel like cheap but it is the best prices yeah, it's the best of all worlds. And actually, a point you came up with earlier, like that like truck to shelves model that they have, it's fascinating because my first ever job a long, long time ago was at Target. And uh, it was my first experience working and I was very young. And we used to work in the, in the back room. We were in the stock room. And half of the typical Target is really the back room where everything is stored. And Trader Joe's has the advantage of literally unloading and taking it directly to the shelves which feels medieval based on all the, you know, the modern retail giants, but it's fascinating. It reduces a lot of costs for them. And it forces, as you said, in their case, the crew member, not an employee, to stop during the day in those crowded aisles. So it forced you to interact with their employees and learn more about their products. So it's actually well thought out. It has a lot of advantages for them. 
And I think what fascinates me with them as well is in this day and age, they're not very, it's not a uh, tech first company. I remember during COVID, uh, I would open up my phone and go to Instacart, hoping to find a Trader Joe's on there and you can't find Instacart on there. They don't, they don't want you to, to buy your groceries and not interact with their employees or go into the store and experience it because that is the, that is part of the Trader Joe's experience. They don't want self-checkout. So while everyone is rushing to remove people from the equation, Trader Joe still wants people to be part of that experience for you because that's what differentiates them. Well, that's part of it. And obviously they, they pay their employees better than everyone else as well. They don't have loyalty programs like other big retailers. They don't want your data. I remember hearing the story that Target knew that one of their customers was pregnant before their spouse because they, they saw their unique shopping behavior and would send them coupon. Trader Joe's is never going to do that. So it feels safe as well in that interesting way. And they've, I think, cultivated this interesting experience where it's like an amusement park for adults because you're going in, you don't know what you're going to find. It could be new, interesting things where your old product may have been retired. So it kind of encourages you to go there and actually even accidentally buy more things that you want. I don't think Trader Joe's is the place you'd go if you had like a, a short list of shopping items you wanted to get in your war. You'd go in and you'd find something that's interesting where it has a cool name or maybe this other thing that looks healthy, even though it's not. And you'd buy way more than you initially expected. So that's something that's happened to me in the past as well. You almost over always overspend in a Trader Joe's because there's so many interesting things that you'd find along your way. Oh yeah, you got to get the dried mango slices. Those are impossible <laughs> for me to say no to. The other thing that I'm interested in is like this idea of business jujitsu where you take the strength of the incumbent, but then make it their weakness because it's like a big grocery store like Walmart can compete with Trader Joe's because like the whole benefit of Trader Joe's is that it's not Walmart, that it's not huge. It's, you know, doesn't have all of the options. It's more curated and they have like low prices as well. So it's kind of like that part is really interesting because like with any business point of differentiation, it's like, what's the mode here? And there's a lot from the brand to the business model to the unit economics. And the other thing that was funny is the, the way they pick their locations is where the overeducated, underpaid work around like, okay, people that are journalists, people that work for the symphony and, and different things like that. And the other thing that I thought was interesting, they, like you said, they don't do advertising, they'll do direct mail, but they actually won't do it to people. They'll do it to this house where a person that fit in their demo lives. But when that person moves, they're like, you know what? I bet someone that's a similar persona type is going to move in. And it's within the same mile radius. Because for like a company like us that does a lot of like online ads, Facebook ads, digital marketing, direct mail is this kind of like untapped, interesting unicorn of a world to me. So it was, it was cool to see their, their approach to it. Yeah. And it's, you know, they have... Uh a tasting team that goes around that's responsible for picking items that they're going to sell to their their customers. And obviously, if, if people don't respond well to it, they'll quickly retire it. But that's a huge departure from everyone else because there's a slotting system where, you know, precious real estate on shelves is reserved for the biggest and best brands. So if you're a, a new cola manufacturer, you can never, almost never outcompete Coca-Cola and Pepsi for their precious real estate on retail store, which called retail space. But at Trader Joe's, they even have their own cola brand, but they use their internal team to find these products that are highly likely to resonate with their audience because they already know that audience, as Jim, as you said, but it's, it's based on merit rather than size of those brands, if that makes sense. 
So it, it just gives that that aura. Of you're going to find something cool that's healthy, that's been you know properly vetted by the right people, and that's a huge difference from everyone else in the retail space. I think almost everyone uses the the slotting system, right? Yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that. So as we like wrap this up, what are your big takeaways? By the way, this is the longest I've ever talked about a grocery store. What is the main takeaways? Because if you're going to launch a business or grow a business. What yeah. are you taking from the Trader Joe's Growers Bible? There's actually one big thing that I'll take away from this. It's not something I've said so far. It's most companies, especially in, in capitalism, is it's all about maximizing the bottom line, more revenue, more profit. But if you build a relationship with your customers, it's very similar to a Costco where you're not trying to maximize the amount of money you squeeze out of them, that you're like their buying partner. You're going to curate the best experience for them. People trust you. And People will, will come to you because they know they're going to get the best prices, the lowest prices possible on th- on high quality goods as well. And I think Costco and Trader Joe's are probably the two, maybe Ikea as a third. Retailers, I think that it builds that kind of relationship. But if you've noticed, these retailers are very difficult to disrupt. They built loyalty in the case of Costco. They have their membership. Ikea I and mean, almost every retailer has ever has, has tried to disrupt them and it's almost impossible. And then Trader Joe's, obviously, even in a, in a world where everyone is shopping online, people will drive and intentionally inconvenience themselves to go into a small parking lot and struggle to find parking and go through all the, you know, the challenges because they enjoy that experience. So it has to be about a relationship you build with your customers and they need to feel like you're their partner and you're thinking and acting in their best interest. You're giving them things that they otherwise wouldn't get from, you know, the sea of competition that exists. And I think if you can do that, you literally won the game because you're a one of one and you can't be caught. Even bigger companies can't copy you. You've built so many like points of differentiation that it's uh, it's like you're in a, the most secure position of action. Yeah, especially in a grocery store and like industry, so commoditized to build like a brand and affinity for that. Super interesting. I think my biggest point yeah. of differentiation is like literally just how they like zag when everybody's zigged or whatever you want to say it's just like these small things like really compound to grade this really impressive business model and mode from the square footage to the number of skews to how they position their products it's 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 super interesting because it's easy to just copy people but instead of copy do the complete opposite especially if it can be your unfair advantage that and I want to study cults more for building an audience. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. We, we should actually do a breakdown of like brands that have the biggest cult-like following. That that could be an interesting one. Like why they have that following. Well, I'm interested to see if people like this this format. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens here. I, I mean, this was actually really fun. I'd say one of the most fun podcasts we've had so far as well. So, yeah, it forced us to read. Who, who won the research battle? I thought I won until you told me that Trader Joe's had a podcast when I realized I actually didn't even go to their website to do any research. So uh, I use ChatGPT article and podcast. Well, actually, I don't use ChatGPT on this one. So maybe you won based on that. But uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Trader Joe's user as well. So I'm a fan. So, you know, maybe I'm, I'm speaking more about myself here. Coming from the heart. All right, man. Cool. Thanks, Jim. I'll give a few plugs. 
first, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A-plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.